Why did Paul say, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings in Philippians 3.10? It's one thing to patiently endure suffering, but to want it, to desire it? When James 1 tells us to consider it pure joy when we suffer, for a lot of Christians, that's the least realistic verse in the whole Bible. I've even heard numerous preachers say, don't ever quote that verse to someone who's suffering. But when the apostles were flogged because of Christ, they really were happy and rejoiced over it. What did they know that we don't seem to know? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. In verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Now, when you read that verse, does that make sense? I mean, does your, when you read that verse, what happens in your heart? Does, does your brain read that and then spit out a reading that just says, does not compute, move on to the next verse, please? You know, just like, like, does it make sense? Do you really believe in your heart that suffering for Christ is a gracious gift granted to me that shows God's favor on my life? Is that how you interpret? Think of how you respond to opposition. Is there any evidence from the way you respond to opposition that you believe this is true? Friends, I'm asking you questions that crushed me this week in my preparation when I asked them to myself. This is hard for me. I mean, I just look at my own life and I... I mean, I understand suffering is from God. We get that. I mean, that's Ecclesiastes 7.14. When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Everything comes from God. I know that. I know all my suffering comes from God. That's just very, very basic. We understand that. But there's, it's a little harder to understand that, that suffering doesn't just come from God. Suffering for Christ comes from God as a demonstration of God's favor on your life. It's a gracious gift that shows God's smile on you because it's a privilege. When we suffer opposition and we, you know, start crying out, "Oh, why why did the, why do I have to do that? Why what did I do to deserve all this suffering?" The answer is you didn't do anything to deserve it. You don't deserve it. You could never do anything to possibly earn or deserve such a high privilege as suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. But even though you don't deserve it, he granted it to you anyway because he's so gracious. It's a high and holy privilege. And the apostles understood that. Remember Acts 5 when they were flogged? He says they called the, it says they called the apostles in and had them flogged and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And the apostles, now think about that for a minute. Because that, I mean, that goes by pretty fast. We just think of, you know, somebody makes fun of us on TV and we're just all upset. They flogged them, ordered them not to preach, let them go. Did they, were they all afraid? Were they all, you know, um, upset and full of things? Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, Flogging. I mean, do we have to go into detail on that? Cat of nine tails? 
You know, a whip with nine lashes, uh, nine strands, and each one has it with like a piece of glass or some sharp thing that designed to tear out chunks of flesh on each one. Um, it was designed to just absolutely lacerate the back, creating excruciating pain. That's what Atta's designed. I mean, you remember the scene? Have you seen the Passion of Christ, the movie, when it's the flogging scene? That's what happened here. I mean, the verse goes by pretty fast, but that's, that's what it is. Gruesome. Speaking of the passion, you know when they filmed that, there was one scene where, um, you know, when they were doing the whipping, it was actually a board there. They hit a board, but but there was one one time when the uh, one of the lashes actually overshot the board and went and hit the actor's back, and it took his breath away. He said, "The stinging is so horrific that you can't get air." And not all nine hit him; just the one. And, and when it happened, he jerked his hands against the shackles and and injured his wrists. He, to this day, he has a 14-inch scar still on his back from that. In fact, after they filmed that movie, he had to have heart surgery because of the injuries that he sustained in filming that movie. So that's just one part of one lash. Imagine, 39 full lashes, full force, no board, no modern medical treatment, no antibiotics. It's just an unimaginable degree of suffering. And they did that to the apostles. And you just you hear that, like, wow, did they, did they get PTSD? No. No, they, they, they went away rejoicing, feeling happy that they had this privilege. They understood what Paul is saying here, that, that, that the honor of suffering for Christ is a precious gift from God. And so we must suffer. Now, why must we suffer? Why is this part of, the, part of what's required of us? Um, here's why. It's because... Jesus' suffering isn't finished. It's not done. Colossians 1.24 says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So there's something lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. And the part that's lacking, now there's nothing lacking in the atonement. That's done. That is finished. But, but the part that's lacking is the part a part that we are graciously granted to bear. It's our part. Uh, we talk a lot about the death of Christ, uh, which is good, but, but um, Scripture talks about his death, so that's fine. But just as often, if not more often, Scripture speaks of Christ's suffering. Um, in fact, when Jesus talked about the cross, he mentioned the suffering more often than he mentioned the death. One example, that is Matthew sixteen twenty one. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. So his, his suffering is part of what Jesus came to accomplish. He had to suffer. It was necessary. His suffering was part of the price of redemption. Jesus didn't accomplish the atonement for our sins by dying. He accomplished the atonement for our sins by suffering and dying. And it would, So it wouldn't have been enough. If Jesus would have come and just been beheaded or hanged or something like that, that wouldn't have done it. The suffering had to be there. It was part of it. You just read Isaiah 53. Um, and you notice how often it talks about not just his death, but, but, but his suffering. Isaiah 52, 14, his appearance was... Um, was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. 
And then it goes on to talk about him being punished and oppressed and crushed and afflicted and wounded. See, it's, and, it, and it's not just the physical suffering either. It's the emotional suffering, the emotional anguish of disgrace and humiliation after being honored and deserving honor in heaven and then, and then having humiliation and rejection and, and disgrace. All of that was a crucial part of Jesus' suffering. That, that same passage in Isaiah 53, it talks about um, him suffering dishonor and rejection and shame and humiliation and injustice. All of that was required to satisfy the wrath of God over our sins, part of the price of redemption. He had to suffer. It was part of the atonement. Isaiah 50, there's other reasons why Jesus suffered as an example for us and all that, but, but it was also part of the price of atonement. Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds we are healed. Not just by his death that heals us, but his wounds. So suffering was part of the whole package of what Jesus came in this world to do. And, and the thing we need to understand about that is it's not done. Jesus' suffering is not finished. The persecution of the Lord Jesus Christ will continue all the way until the second coming. Um, and, and, and since Jesus is not physically present in this age for people to persecute him, the only way they can persecute him is by persecuting his body. And so they persecute the church. Remember Saul, when he's persecuting the, the church, the Christians, and then Jesus comes, slams him on the ground, and says in Acts 9-4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus. That's the world's way of persecuting Jesus. That's why Galatians 6.17, Paul says, I bear on my bodies the marks of Christ. Jesus suffered in our place. Now we suffer in his place. He took blows from God for us. Now we take blows from men for him. Now you hear all that and think, is there any chance I can just like opt out of that part? Like I, I, don't, I don't necessarily need that honor. I can, I'm humble. I can live without that honor of suffering for Christ. Can I opt out? Well, sure. Yeah, you can opt out as long as you're greater than Jesus, because John 15, 20 says, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The only way to opt out is to be greater than Jesus. If you're a Christian, you will suffer. Suffer, if you're a Christian, suffering for Christ is just as certain as going to heaven. It's part of the package. It's, suffering is the only path to heaven. It's the only path. Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to, Paul says, I want to know Christ and I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's the only path to heaven. You don't earn heaven by suffering for Christ, but, but if you are on the way to heaven, you're, it's a path of suffering. That's the only path that goes to heaven. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to suffer for Christ. Romans 8, 17, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You're going to, share, you're going to be in glory with Christ? You're going to have to share in his sufferings. 2 Corinthians 1, 5, the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. This is just part of the package of salvation. Just as suffering was part of the package of Christ's uh, uh, work of redemption, so our suffering for Christ is part of the glorious package of our salvation. You know, if you look up all the occurrences of this word granted, it has been granted to you to suffer, um, and you write down a list of everything the Bible says is granted to us, 
here's the list. Salvation and inheritance, faith, all good things, and suffering for Christ. It's all part of the package. Part of the plan. You ever watched a movie or a TV show or something where, where um, it looks like the hero has made some terrible mistakes and now he's in serious trouble and all is lost and it's, it's just a, the situation is hopeless and then all of a sudden something happens, everything turns around and it turns out the whole thing was part of his plan, his ingenious plan. Now he meant to get captured and he meant for all this stuff to look like it was going wrong and it was all part of his plan to win. Uh, that's exactly the situation we're in when we suffer. It's all part of the plan. That's why Peter tells us, don't be surprised when you suffer. Don't be surprised when you suffer. It's all part of the plan. It's not like the plan's any big secret. It's right there on the pages of Scripture. It was prophesied for thousands of years in the Old Testament, and Jesus lived it out in front of us. We saw it. We watched it. And then he said, this is the pattern for you. You, same thing. What I'm doing, this is what you do. I mean, it's not any secret. So, when you suffer, you're right on schedule. Don't get, a, don't get worked up. You're right on schedule. Everything's fine. It has to happen. It has to happen. You see that word must very often when it talks about our suffering for Christ. It's necessary. It has to happen because it's the price that has to be paid in order to deliver God's grace to his people. And I, we don't have time. I wish we had more time to develop this. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about it next week. But if you go back to that Colossians 1.24 where it's talking about what was lacking in regard to Christ's sufferings, the upshot of that verse is this. Jesus suffered to purchase grace for all of us, for everyone. But it's up to us to minister that grace in person, to deliver it in person. And that requires suffering. So Christ purchased it, we deliver it. And that's, that's always going to involve suffering. All ministry involves suffering. If you're not suffering opposition for Christ, you're probably not doing ministry. It, it, it requires us to suffer. That's the role. Jesus accomplished it on the cross, it was finished on the cross, the, the price of redemption, but the delivery of the benefits of that have to happen through us. That's what's lacking with regard to Christ's suffering, and we need to fill that, uh, fill that up. So if you're suffering for Christ, that's great news. That's great news, because it means you're in the game and not on the bench. You know, imagine if athletes had the same perspective about opposition that uh, so many Christians have. Like like a football player, he's in the game, he's getting hit by opponents, smashed to the ground, blocked, tackled, mocked by the other team, they're making fun of him, he's getting pushed and shoved and everything, and he's just thinking, oh, the coach must hate me. I mean, why, why, why does he have to do this to me? Why, what, what does he have against me that he's putting me in all this opposition and situation like this? What have I ever done to deserve this? And so the coach sees him crying, and so he pulls him out of the game, sits him on the end of the bench, and there he's got warming lamps to keep him comfortable and, and people bringing him Gatorade, you know, and, and he's getting rest and relax and watch the game and he thinks, oh, wow, the coach must love me. No, that's not how they think. Exact opposite of that, isn't it? Athletes understand that if they're not experiencing any opposition, it means they're on the bench, which is their worst fear. But if they're experiencing opposition, that means the coach trusted me enough to put me in the heat of the contest and they're happy because that's what they're there for. If you take a couple of hits for Christ, rejoice that you're not on the bench. This is a gift. 
And it's especially good for those of us who struggle with the emotional side of loving God. You know, a lot of times I hear guys tell me, they're just like, you know, I love him, I would die for him, but I don't, I don't feel those emotions of love for him, and I'm struggling for that. And we need to strive to increase loving God with every part of our being. But for those of us who struggle with the emotions, this is a great gift, because suffering for someone is a way that you can express profound love even while uh, the emotions aren't yet what they should be. And so for people like me, it's a gift. It's a gracious gift. This would be some encouragement for the Philippians uh, because if you look at, take a look at verse 30, they're going through the same suffering that they saw that Paul had when he was there in Philippi. Well, what, what did he have? What, what happened there? Well, he, he suffered ridicule and injustice and persecution. He was insulted, 1 Thess 2.2. Uh, he was thrown in prison in Acts 16 when he was in Philippi. All that same kind of stuff now is happening, happening to the Philippians. They're going through that same kind of stuff. And we face it too. We do. Now, in our country, we don't have the physical persecution, being thrown in prison and all that stuff just yet. But we face plenty of opposition in insults and humiliation and ridicule and mockery and all that stuff, don't we? And those emotional kind, don't write that off. Those emotional aspects of of opposition were part of the work of redemption. Isaiah 53 makes a major point about that aspect, the emotional ridicule aspect. And after the apostles were flogged, remember in Acts 5, they were flogged. And when they mentioned it, they rejoiced. Uh, They actually didn't mention the flogging. They mentioned the disgrace, suffering disgrace. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer disgrace for him. When Paul talked about his suffering in Philippi, he specifically mentions the insults. Um, emotional suffering and being rejected by people, that hurts. Sometimes that can hurt even more than physical suffering. And so that's a real part of it. Listen, any painful or unpleasant thing that ever happens to you as a result of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ counts as suffering for Christ. If your spouse is mean to you, and you stay married instead of getting a divorce? Because, and the reason you stay married is because of your commitment to Christ? Then anything you ever suffer in that marriage from then on is suffering for Christ. Because it's because of your obedience to Christ that you're still in that marriage. If you, if you say no to a temptation because you're trying to obey Christ, and that hurts to say no to this pleasure, that's suffering for Christ. In chapter 2, this is really amazing. In chapter 2, we're going to read about Epaphroditus who uh, almost died for Christ. He suffered for Christ. He almost died for Christ. He deserves special honor for risking his life for Christ, all that stuff. And then you read about what happened. You know what actually happened? He got sick. He didn't get flogged. He didn't get thrown in. He got sick. What does that tell us? That tells us that if you get so much as get sick and you do it I mean, it happened to him, the reason it was suffering for Christ is because it happened to him while he was bringing, transporting a gift from Philippi to deliver to Paul. (laughs) That means if you get sick while you're carrying out your calling, that counts as suffering for Christ. So, if God called you to be a homemaker, and you catch a cold while being a homemaker, uh, and so now it's uncomfortable for you to do the laundry, you're coughing and sneezing and uh, not being able to sleep at night, is suffering for Christ. That counts as suffering for Christ because that happened while you're carrying out your calling that Christ called you to. 
If people in your family, or your work, or friends, or whatever, if they think you're a weirdo because of your commitment to Christ, that's suffering for Christ. And what Paul's saying here is don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Gather up your courage. Stand in unassailable unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ without any fear. And the way to get that kind of courage is by realizing that everything that's happening is from God. It's all from God, including your destiny, their destiny, the final outcome, your faith, the opposition, the suffering, all of it. It all comes from God. So whenever we're afraid or we get worked up, we get caught up with anxiety and worry, it's always because we've lost sight of the sovereign control and the goodness of God and his favor on the lives of his people. But if we see it for what it is, and we actually love the Lord Jesus Christ, then we see that this suffering is for him and we love him then we will have joy when we are granted the gift of participating in the very sufferings of the Messiah and we will regard it as a high honor. Jesus has been shunned, he's been rejected and pushed outside the camp like some kind of filthy, disgusting, unclean thing. That's what the world has done to Jesus and it is a great privilege for us to go out there and join him in that disgrace. That's Hebrews 13.3. Let us then go, out, uh, go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us that great privilege, the great name that we can bear. Thank you that we could be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid of anything. What can this world do to us? We're so grateful, Father. Forgive us for when we act like you're not a powerful Savior. Help us remember that in this age you exert your mighty, awesome, delivering power not through plagues anymore or the Red Sea or a stone and a sling or a surgical earthquake, but, but through your unified church. Deliverance comes through our contending as one man for the faith. Oh, Lord, make us one at agape. Make us one and give us courage and help us to remember those sweet, comforting words. All this is from God. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In today's message, I made the point that a Christian housewife who suffers through a cold while doing household chores is suffering for Christ. But don't atheist housewives also get colds and go through the exact same thing? What's different about a Christian homemaker getting a cold? What's different is the Christian is living her life for Christ. She's a homemaker because she believes the Lord wants her to be a homemaker. The reason she wants to do a good job with the laundry, or feeding the kids, or decorating the house, or cleaning the bathroom, is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ who called her to that life and granted her the privilege of that ministry. None of your suffering has any meaning if it's just suffering. As Christians, it's easy for us to forget that everything we're doing is to honor Christ. 
And when we forget that, it's like we're pretending to be atheists. We're not atheists, but very often when we suffer, we impersonate atheists. We act as though the suffering is pointless. We forget the connection between that suffering and our calling. In the next 24 hours, you will suffer. It might be something massive. I hope not. It might be some very minor little discomfort or disappointment. But as long as you're on this earth, something's going to go wrong. And you have the choice. You can suffer like an atheist or like a Christian. As you go through the next day, each time something hurts, each time something goes wrong, the ball doesn't bounce your way, you lose something, your efforts are stymied, a problem arises, a setback, whatever it is, big or small, let it remind you that you're like Epaphroditus. You're encountering that hardship while on a mission for Christ. And that means you're suffering for him. And I assure you, Jesus won't forget that. Let each hardship today remind you why you're where you are. Remind yourself what your job, your family role, your location, your ministry at church, what all that has to do with your calling, so you can see your suffering in his service as the high and holy privilege and honor that it is. Father, since Christ suffered in his body, help me arm myself also with the same attitude. If I suffer for doing good and I endure it, this is commendable before you. Remind me that to this I was called because Christ suffered for me, leaving me an example that I should follow in his steps. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to you, the one who judges justly. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Father, you have made me a son and a fellow heir with Christ if I suffer with him in order that I may also be glorified with him. I'm not greater than him. If he suffered, I certainly will. Teach me to especially rejoice in sufferings that are for the sake of others as I try to minister your word to them. And in the process, I fill up in my flesh what's lacking in Christ's afflictions, the personal delivery of the grace he purchased. Father, don't let me ever resent the hardships I face when I try to bring your grace to other people. And just as the sufferings of Christ are mine in abundance, and just as the sufferings of Christ are mine in abundance, so also my comfort is abundant through Christ. Father, teach me to seek my comfort from Him, not from any other source. Help me today, Father, to rejoice whenever I participate in the sufferings of Christ, so I may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Remind me that 
If I'm insulted because of the name of Christ, I'm blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on me. If I suffer, don't let it be because of wrongdoing on my part, but because I'm walking in the path that you've laid out for me. Let me suffer as a Christian. Then I will not be ashamed, but will praise you that I bear that name. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.